So how do I sound? I don't sound too loud, right? Because the last thing I want with the message I'm about to preach to you is to sound like I'm coming across screaming at you. Uh, because for some of you, this will be a, 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 a wake-up call. And for others, it'll be a very encouraging message. The glorious appearing is what I want to talk to you about from Mark chapter 13, 24 through 27. You can turn there with me uh, in your Bibles and stand with me for the reading of the word. Mark chapter 13, 24 through 27. We have been going through the gospel of Mark. It would have been Wednesday... Jesus would have been crucified on Friday, raised from the dead on Sunday, and this is called the Olivet Discourse. You have uh, it in Mark 13, in Matthew 24, and you also find it in Luke chapter 21. So the word of our Lord, but in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. I, I want to share something with you, as a, and I'm going to pray from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. Uh, my prayer for you uh, is that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would understand his word. That is a prayer that I do pray for the church pretty consistently day in and day out. The Bible consists of 27% prophecy. 27% is, is prophecy. And when I say prophecy, the future told in advance. Churches like ours, evangelical churches, only teach about 3% okay, of that 27%. So, which to me, and I do see people as I talk to them, Christians, uh, people who come to our church from other churches, they don't have a clue of, of, of prophecy. Somebody's going to sit there today, and, and in fact, we had a, a family that came from another church. They were here for the last couple of months, and the, the wife said to my wife that she'd never heard these things before. She's been in the church for years, which, which is a, a major void. I mean, you're leaving out. 24%, okay, of the, of the scriptures. So there are two key things in really understanding the word of God. One is you need to rely on the spirit. And that's where, again, where, where it says here, and let me read it to you. Therefore, I also, after I of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, now watch this, may give to you a, the Spirit. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about your spirit. That he may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your heart understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of the, his inheritance in the saints. So that is, that is one of the key things in understanding scripture. You need to have that spirit of wisdom and revelation. The second thing, which is what we were covering here on Wednesday night, for those of you who are here Wednesday night, you need to dig, and that takes effort. So I, I taught on Wednesday on Numbers chapter 2. You might want to go home and read Numbers chapter 2 because I said you will find Jesus throughout Numbers chapter 2. And it's a census of names. And people say, well, where the heck is Jesus? Well, Joanne, Joanne, are you here? Oh, Joanne, was, uh, Joanne came to me, Joanne Goldberg, and she had a notebook. And 
I'll tell you, she dug during the week because she found Jesus in Numbers chapter 2. Again, most people would usually get, you know, maybe to the second verse and they would skip over it because, again, it's a census of names. But Jesus, there's a wonderful revelation in Numbers 2, but it takes digging. It takes effort. It's, you know, the, the study of the Word of God, a relationship with God, is not for the lazy. It's not for the complacent. It's not for the people who live in the comfort zone. It is for people who will dig and pursue the Lord and His power and His revelations in their lives. So those are the two key things. You, you need to have that spirit of revelation and wisdom, and you need to dig. So, Father, I pray today, as we look into Your Word, into some very deep things, Lord God, Give us, Lord God, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Place that spirit within us. And Lord God, give us a heart to dig, to not be lazy, to not be complacent, but Lord, to dig deep into your word. Lord God, we would walk out of here with with the riches and the treasures of the word of God that, Lord God, bring peace, bring joy, bring hope, and bring power into our lives. For we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. So a, a key point here, and I want you to take a look. Again, timeline of end times. And if you've been here over the course of the last few months, you, you understand this. Essentially here, let me go, let me go over. Oh, if I go over there, if I go over here, okay. What you see here, the present period that we're in is called the present church age. Okay. Since Pentecost, Pentecost was the birthday of the church, happy birthday on Pentecost to where we are today, Uh, I believe we are about right here right now, which uh, says that what we're about to enter into is what is called the seven-year tribulation, Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week, Revelation chapter 6 through 19, Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21, you can get bits and pieces of it in Zechariah, Jeremiah, and Isaiah. You don't want to be here for that. Uh, the tribulation, I mean, let me tell you something, it's about the closest thing to hell on earth that, um, that has happened in history. So the Bible gives strong evidence that the church is taken out, and that's called the rapture. We are, we are taken out before, either right before or right at the beginning of the tribulation. Next Sunday, I'm going to teach the entire messages on the rapture. Okay, but that is what's called the blessed hope. It is the blessed promise. The tribulation period is a seven-year period. And the tribulation ends with what we call the return of Christ or his glorious appearing. That's what I'm going to talk to you about today. Then it goes in, you have the millennium, a 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth, the final judgment, and then you go into eternity. So it's, it's here, I want to focus on the return of Christ. Now I want, to show you, I want to show you another chart. The difference, to understand, there's a difference between the rapture and Christ's return to the earth. So essentially, in the rapture, Christ appears in the air. When he returns to the earth, he returns to the earth. Uh, Jesus returns in secret like a thief, right, in the, uh, in the rapture. And then Jesus returns openly in uh, the glorious appearing. The Messiah returns for his church in the rapture, and then the Messiah returns with his church in the, the glorious appearing. The Lord comes as a bridegroom in the rapture. The Lord comes as king in the glorious appearing. Christ comes to, as a deliverer in the rapture. Christ comes as a warrior and judge when it comes to the glorious appearing. Jesus comes with grace 
in uh, the rapture, Jesus comes with grace and wrath in the uh, glorious appearing. The Messiah delivers the church from wrath. In the rapture, the Messiah, uh, the Messiah delivers believers of the tribulation who endure wrath. Uh, in the rapture, living believers receive immortal bodies as they are taken to heaven. Living believers remain mortal on earth during the millennium. Okay, that happens after the glorious appearing. The world is left unjudged, rapture. The world is judged, glorious appearing. The world continues in sin, rapture. Righteousness is established when it comes to the glorious appearing. Addresses only the saved, the rapture. Addresses the saved and unsaved, the glorious appearing. Can happen at any moment, the rapture. Many signs must first occur, the glorious appearing. The devil continues in his evil reign, the rapture. The devil is cast into the abyss, the glorious appearing. Differences. We're going to look, we're going to look really in depth at, at some of those things when we come next week and study the rapture. So here, here is the key things that what Jesus told us in Mark chapter 13. First, cosmic signs. Okay, so what we have seen in the Olivet Discourse, and go back a few weeks when we began in the Gospel of uh, Mark, Jesus said, right, you would have birth pains. And right, what happens, remember birth pains? They start off kind of with very low intensity, and there's a large separation of duration between them. But as you get closer and closer to the delivery of the child, they become more and more intense, and they're more frequent. Right, ladies? Right, met gentlemen? Right? No. no. Right? Thank you, Lord, for not making me a woman and making me a man. So he, he talks about these birth pains, deception, wars, rumors of wars. Famines, disease, pestilence, earthquakes, cyclones, tornadoes, tor uh, volcanoes, around, all these different things that are mentioned. Now, when you come to verse 24 and 25, now the baby's being born. Right? This is, ladies, the final push. Remember that? Right? At the beginning, when you first started experiencing right, the Braxton Hicks, Hicks Braxton, I think, he, I think he played for the Dallas Cowboys. He was a receiver. So it starts off lightly. But when you come to Mark 13, 24 through 25, now this is the final push. The sun is darkened. Notice this. The sun will be darkened. The moon that will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers of heaven will be shaken. It's, it's cosmic. It's now really intense. So what you have here in Mark chapter 13, 24 through 25 is repeated throughout the scriptures. It's repeated by Jesus, repeated by the prophets, repeated in the book of Revelation. I want to I show you in Isaiah 13, 10, for the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shed its light. See the comparison? Joel chapter 2 verse 10, before them the earthquakes, the heaven trembles, the sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. You come to Revelation chapter 6, the sixth seal. It's, 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 it's exactly what is said, right, in Mark chapter 13, Revelation chapter 6, 12 through 17. I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold there was a, a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth, 
as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by the wind. The sky receded like a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand. So notice, six seal, a number of these cosmic signs. The sun will become black like sackcloth. So the, the sun is essentially blocked out. By the way, if there is anyone here who has not received Jesus Christ, or you will be planning not to receive Jesus Christ in the future, I just want to say, you will know when you're going through this time, buy thermals, thermal underwear. Because when that sun is blacked out, it's going to be cold. So I just want to, I just want to encourage you. That's, that's a joke, but um, I guess it's not such a joke for some people because you can pick them up for $27.99 on uh, Amazon. So there's darkness. That's going to bring, that's going to bring a lot of cold to, to the world. Then it says the, the moon will become like blood. Uh, and whenever there has been a, a blood moon, if you know anything about blood moons, and it happened at different times during the year, what, what happens is there is a change, essentially, in the sun's light and the atmosphere, which basically changes. The, the light can bend. And because of the bending of the light, this, this thing, this refraction, the moon, essentially, with the light coming back from the earth on the moon, appears like blood. But the sun will be black, the moon will be red, and then it says, and the stars of heaven will fall to the earth as fig tree drops its late figs and are shaken by a mighty wind. You look at that and you say, well, you know, if a star hit the earth, it's over. If a star hit our, if a star hit our, um, our solar system, it would be over. So th this could be a, a reference to a meteor shower. When if you've ever seen, I saw a meteor once, we were down vacationing, and uh, it was looking over the Gulf, and it was early in the morning, and there was a meteor that came down into the Pacific. It was really an, incre an incredible sight. It, lo it, it looked like something, right, like a star had fallen from the sky. This also, though, could be a reference, start to get into the scriptures, of a, a, a missile. If you've ever seen a missile re-entering the Earth's atmosphere, that's an ICBM, an intercontinental ballistic missile, re you know, coming back. This, these are uh, Minuteman. This is a Minuteman missile. It looks like a star, right, coming. And, um, you know, as I've, as I've taught, I believe the Bible gives strong evidence of there being a global nuclear war. And you guys hear that now, right? Uh, the president talking about a nuclear war with, uh, with Russia threats of nuclear war. And you're preparing now for nuclear war. Right now in the world, there are 12,700 nuclear warheads. That's estimated. By the way, that's enough to blow up the world about 10 times over. So, you know, we, the United States has nukes. Russia has nukes. China has nukes. Korea, North Korea has nukes. Israel has nukes. Pakistan has nukes. France has nukes. Great Britain has nukes. I might be forgetting uh, one or two in there. I think about 10 nations that have nukes, 12,700 of them. The passage also said that the sky receded like a scroll. If you've ever seen a picture of a nuclear explosion, the sky recedes like a scroll. It says, the sky receded like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. 
So this is a major change of object. The only, the only other thing I've ever seen when the sky recedes like a scroll is a volcanic eruption, and that is the eruption of Mount Etna. But if you, if you have, again, that you're having these cosmic, it could be volcanic eruptions, could be, again, meteors hitting the Earth, nuclear war, you're going to have uh, what they call a, um, a nuclear winter. The sun darkened, the moon red, the sky receding like a scroll. Zechariah, in Zechariah 14, 12, he, he, he says that people, their flesh will rot while they're standing on their feet. And the only time that I've ever seen that happen or heard of that happening was Hiroshima and Nagasaki when the United States dropped those two nukes on Japan. People were standing and instantly they were essentially vaporized by the, uh, by the nuclear, uh, you know, nuclear explosion. So maybe a combination of things. A weakening. Something that really wakes you up. When you look at the book of Revelation... Again, the tribulation is described here, chapter 6 through chapter 19. It says in the fourth seal, essentially, one quarter of the earth's population will be killed. So there are 8 billion people on the face of the earth right now, if this was to happen in our day. That means that 2 billion people would be wiped out, leaving, leaving 6 billion people on earth. Um, the sixth trumpet, which occurs a, a, a short time later, says one-third of the population will be wiped out. So if you have only six billion people left, one-third would be another two billion people, which means half of the Earth's population will be wiped out during the tribulation period. And you may sit there and say, well, that's just... That's, that's just. How many people died of war in the last century? Do you have any guess? About 110 million. That would be, that would be about one-third of the population of the entire United States. They, they, they guesstimate that through human history, one billion to one and a half billion people have died of war since the beginning. So when I look at, at the tribulation, I'm not, you know, I'm not shocked that these cosmic signs would result in half of the world's population being killed during the tribulation period. All right, second, the glorious appearing. So in verse 26 of Mark 13, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. So after the cosmic signs, okay, you have these cosmic signs that occur, the the sun is black, the moon stops reflecting, the stars fall, there's chaos, there's terror, there's horror, you have the glorious appearing. Jesus coming. And he's coming with the Calvary. <laughs> you know, coming in the clouds, the clouds. Is he just coming with a bunch of clouds from the sky? And uh, when you get into the scripture and you understand what it's talking about, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of, of references here. Revelation chapter 19, 11 through 18. It says, Now I saw heaven opened, and this, this is the glorious appearing. And behold, a white horse, 
And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself, and he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Who knows? Who'd that be? Now to his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds, I want you to just make a note and put this in the you know, left corner of your brain for just a, a few minutes. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. A bunch of people are going to be dead. And the birds are going to have a Thanksgiving feast. The armies that come, the armies of heaven, heaven clothed with fine linen, white and clean, clean, katheros, it talks about a cleansing. We, we have been catarized. If you're a Christian, you've been catarized, you've been cleansed. If you're not a Christian, you haven't been cleansed. The blood of Christ cleanses us. These are those who have been catarized, and I, I believe what it's talking about are the saints, and it, it's talking about the angels. That picture really, the artist did a great job, because here are the angels... And there are the saints. Old Testament, New Testament saints return with Jesus at the glorious appearing. We're coming back with him. He takes us up at the beginning of the, uh, of the tribulation. We're with him for seven years. What are we going to be doing up there? The wedding supper of the Lamb. And you will have the bema seat, the judgment. You're going to be judged according to what you have been doing with what God has given you. You're going to be judged. And it's not a judgment of condemnation. It's a judgment of rewards. That's what we're going to be doing up there over those seven years. Then the Lord's going to knock on your door and say, come on, we're coming back. Let's go back. We're taking back the earth. And that is the glorious appearing. Jude chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Jude verse 14 and 15. Now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his what? Of his saints. That's us. Old Testament, New Testament. In fact, the word ten thousand, the word is myriad. A myriad is ten thousand. These are myriads. It's in the plural. All the saints from, from Abel, right, to the last saint who is saved in the rapture. To execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And then, again, there are angels. Matthew sixteen twenty seven. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and uh, will repay every man according to his deeds. So angels and saints will be returning. And Jesus now comes to the earth. How do we know he comes to the earth? In the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, 3 through 4, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. 
And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very great, a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it towards the south. You know what we call that? Touchdown. When Jesus' feet hit the Mount of Olives, there will be an earthquake that splits, okay? It's basically going to be a split that's going to create a river from the Mediterranean Sea to the Dead Sea. By the way, you can read about that in the book of Ezekiel when it talks about the temple, chapter 40 through 28. So it's, it's touched down. Jesus touches down. There's this great earthquake, and then there's this great river that will be there during the Millennial Kingdom between the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea comes to life. I've swam in it many times, and let me tell you, it's about as dead as anything you could ever imagine. And it will come to life. All right, number three. By the way, listen. If you don't get this right now, you're in trouble. I'm just in a, you, you're in trouble right now. If you're, not, if you're not in a place where, if you don't feel any kind of sense of action or urgency with what's being shared, you're in trouble. So the third thing, the gathering of tribulation believers. Mark chapter 13, verse 27. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. So when he comes, the, the elect are believers. These are believers who have survived the tribulation. They have not received the mark of the beast. They have not worshipped the Antichrist. And these are people that during the tribulation, they've come to believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. Okay, those who have rejected Jesus during this period, there is going to come this great divide between them. In fact, Jesus gives us a parable, the parable of the dragnet. In Mark chapter 13, verse 47 through 50, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet, right? A dragnet. They throw the net into the sea, and when they pull it out, they pull it out with the fish and creatures and seaweed. And Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it is full, was full, they drew to the shore and they sat down. And notice, they gathered the good vessels, Right? They, get, they gathered the good into vessels. These are the, the, would be the, the saved people. But they threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth at this, again, this great separation. I want to show you how God does that. In Luke 17, verse 34 through 37. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. What is that talking about? What do you think that's talking about? How many of you think that's talking about the rapture? Oh, come on. You've got to be kidding me if there's not somebody in here who doesn't believe that's the rapture. Right? That's what we were taught. That's what, that's what we were taught. We were taught this is the rapture. That's what I was taught. 
the church that I, I went to, and that, that, that is the rapture. I want to tell you why I believe this passage is talking about the believers being left and the unbelievers being taken. I believe it's talking about when the Lord comes in his glorious appearing, not the rapture. There's no question when the rapture happens, and it could happen at any moment, at any time, and say, right now, all the signs are there, everything is happening in the world, right? Look, I don't know, you know, if, if you have any knowledge of the Bible and you're not aware that we are living in the last hour, you've got to be dead and asleep. And there are a lot of dead people and asleep people in churches. So when the rapture happens, all of a sudden you're going to be, you could be with a bunch of unbelievers, you're going to be taken, they're going to be left. They're going to go through the tribulation. So that's something that, you know, that's something that, that will happen, happen in a moment. But I believe this is not talking about the rapture. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two reasons. If you go down with me to verse 37, and they answered and said to him, where, Lord, where is this, this going to happen? The same question that we would have looking at the passage. Lord, Lord where, when? When is this going to happen? Is this the rapture? Is this the glorious appearing? So he said to them, wherever the body is, a body, there the eagles will be gathered together. Whenever you go into the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, and by the way, the word eagles, atos, birds of prey, scavengers. I'll show you that in a moment. But whenever you go into the scriptures and you see, when it talks about the vultures, okay, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, it's talking about judgment. When the vultures come to consume dead bodies, so when Jesus comes, there's going to be a lot of people, unbelievers, who all of a sudden, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody just drop, just drop dead. You ever see a healthy person just all of a sudden, they're just kind of going, and they just drop. I was in, in, in the fitness business, martial, I've seen people drop. And um, these people are just going to drop dead. And, um, and then the believers are, are going to be are going to be standing, and the Lord is going to, is going to gather them. So uh, the vultures, and I'll, I'll show you again when the vultures gather, Revelation 19, 17 to 18, I just read this to you. I said, remember this. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and all of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. They gather. I had somebody come to me once and say, eagles don't eat roadkill. Look, look at him. Look, look. I do, I do, I do. <laughs> they do. But it's not just, Atos is not just talking about eagles. It's talking about vultures and crows and ravens, condors, right? Birds of prey, ravens. They, um, they eat. Now that's, that's I think, a, a very strong reason to believe that Luke chapter 17 is not talking about the rapture, but talking, okay, about the glorious appearing. And I'll give you another reason. If you come to Living Word, you know we pride ourselves on being Bereans. In Acts chapter 17, 11, it said of the Bereans that they had this noble character because they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying is true. And I always encourage you to do that. Don't sit here just, you know, listening to what I'm saying. Go back home, study the scriptures that have been given to you, and see if what we're saying is true. 
So we're Bereans. We study the scriptures. I don't care what the pastor said or the denomination said. I don't care what the priest said or the pope said. I care what the Bible says. Because there's a lot of kookiness in the church. And there are a lot of kooky people in the church. I'm telling you, I met more kooky, kooky people in the church than I've met outside. So we're students of Scripture, and I want you to notice in the context, right, the context of what we just read about one being taken and one left, and the vultures consuming the bodies. In Luke 17, verse 26 to 29, look at this. It says, and as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate and they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, it will also be in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, just Noah. Who was taken and who was left? Who was left? How many people were taken? No, they were left. They weren't taken. No one his family weren't taken. They repopulated the earth. You wouldn't be here if they were taken. In Lot's day, who was taken and who was left? The people of Sodom and Gomorrah right, were taken. They all, they all killed. Who was left? Lot and his two daughters. Right? And that's the context. So when you come to one is taken, one is left, the ones who are taken, they're the unbelievers who die. The ones who are left are the believers who go to populate okay, the kingdom. And by the way, that's just good Bible. That's just, that's just good Bible study. What we call, you want to get fancy names that we learn in, in preacher school, hermeneutics, right? expository. right? Just that It's just good you can't pull that passage out of Scripture, which is what a lot of teachers have done through the centuries, and say, no, no, that's talking about the rapture. It's not talking about the rapture. How does he do it? When he comes back, the believers, they're standing, the unbelievers, and the bodies are going to have a feast. All right, last point. The separation. Now I'm going to really confuse you. Daniel 12, verse 11 through 12. The second to last verses in the book of Daniel. It says, And from that time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. I had, my, I had to have my uh, calculator out, calculating this. So, Essentially, what the scripture teaches, the tribulation period is a seven-year period, 360 days in a Hebrew year, okay? In the middle of the tribulation, you have what is called the abomination desolation. The Antichrist, remember, he goes into the temple and he declares himself to be God and sets up an idol. From the abomination desolation, you have three and a half years, 1,260 days until the second coming. 1,260 days, that's when Jesus is going to come back. So, 
when you're looking at what I just read to you from Daniel, and this is one, this, this really starts to confuse people because Daniel is throwing out 1,290 days, 1,335 days, and saying, did Daniel make a mistake? Was this something that a scribe added? Right? Is, is this, geez, are, we, are we reading this wrong? Right? Is it, is it 1,260 days, 1,290 days, 1,335 days? Have you ever looked at this and has it ever confused you? Am I the only one in here who gets confused by the word of God at times? <laughs> has anybody here ever really looked at this to figure it out? Well, what you have here, so there's a 75-day difference, Okay? The Bible is very clear that the tribulation will be seven years. Seven, a seven-year period, 2,520 biblical days. Again, 360 days in a biblical year. So the Lord comes back when the abomination desolation happens... The Lord comes back 1,260 days later. Exactly what, by the way, I'll just say this to you again. If you are on earth during this period, somebody watching today on, on uh, television, or watching this message maybe next week, or somebody, you guys are sitting here, maybe you're not a believer, you haven't given your life to Jesus. Well, just want to say this to you. If you're going through the tribulation, when the abomination desolation happens, get out your calendar and just start checking off day by day, 1,260 days, because you are going to know the day that Christ is going to come. He said no one knows the day of the hour. I believe he's talking about the rapture. Nobody knows that. But it, you, you will be able to figure out, literally, the very day that Jesus comes, when you see the Antichrist go in, and it's going to be on television, it's going to be all over, it's going to be on CNN, it's going to be on Fox, you're going to be able to get it on the internet or whatever else, you know, who knows what else they're going to have in the upcoming months or years with technology. But you will know that the Antichrist has gone in and declared himself to be God in the temple. And if you manage to survive the next 1,260 days, buy a ticket, go to Jerusalem and wait there on the, on the Mount of Olives because he's coming down. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine getting that on your cell phone. Well, you could sell that for a lot. Onto... So what is the 1,290 days that is spoken about here? I believe Jesus comes back and uh, you have a 75-day period. Okay, First, a 30-day period. I believe that's when you have the judgment of the nations. The separation of the sheep and goats. I'm not going to talk about the sheep and goats today. I taught on it a few months ago and I gave a very elaborate explanation of, of Matthew chapter 25, the sheep and the sheep and the goats. But then there also the earth is a mess. It needs a renovation. I mean, you got bombs and comets, and I mean, just the earth has been totally messed up. The environmentalists are going to be coming, I mean, the environmentalists are going to be going, you know. They're going to be going crazy. Al Gore, is he going to die of a, a heart attack because of what he sees happening to the earth? Mother Nature! So there's going to be a, a renovation of earth. There is also going to be the building of Ezekiel's temple. You can read about that. I just finished a, a pretty in-depth study of that on my own, my own personal study 
Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48. It's a magnificent, magnificent temple that's going to be built. And um, I believe that it's going to take it's going to take 75 days. You know how long it took to build the Empire State? You know, it takes a long time now to build buildings, right? It took, took, took years, right, to um, build the Freedom Tower. It takes, it takes, I mean, you, they, they build a house next door. It takes, it takes months but because of all the permits, right? All the, all the zoning variances and the planning board variances and the inspections in this country is, you can't do, I mean, you, you can't take a poop without a permit in America right now. You know how long it took to build the Empire State Building? One year, 45 days. That's wild, isn't it? Without all the technology, without the computers, and, and without all the equipment that we have today, 1,045 days. So this is going to take 75 days. So the way I kind of figure it with the Lord, the resurrected saints, the angels, the surviving believers of the tribulation, it takes 70. I think that's what's happening with Daniel's, again, that, those missing days. So there's a judgment of the nations, separation of the sheep and the goats, and then you have the building of the temple. So let me give you, just I'm going to give you this in a nutshell. Boy, you want to take a picture of this because everything I've just covered with you can be explained here in this, this final little paragraph that I give you. So sometime after the rapture of the church, the Antichrist enters a treaty uh, this is a seven-year treaty with Israel. Okay, that's Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. At the midpoint of the tribulation, 1,260 days later, the Antichrist breaks the treaty, desecrates the temple, and begins to persecute the Jews. He goes in and he claims to be God. At the end of the tribulation, 1,260 days after the desecration of the temple, Jesus Christ returns to earth and defeats the forces of the Antichrist. During the next 30 days leading up to 1,290 days after the desecration of temple, Israel is, is rebuilt and the earth restored. During the next 45 days leading up to 1,335 days of the desecration of the temple, the Gentile nations are judged for the treatment of Israel. Matthew chapter 25, the sheep and the goats. And then the dispensation of the millennium begins, and it will last for a thousand years. Now, I don't know about you. I like to know the future. Wouldn't you all have liked to know back in 1998 that Google would become a $5,000 stock? Right? Wouldn't you like to know who's going to win the Super Bowl this year? Though we shouldn't gamble. But if you do, remember to tithe it to the church. <laughs> or to know the lottery numbers. Prophecy is the future revealed in advance. Now I just want to, I want to end with this. There's a lot of reasons why people come to Jesus. Right? Really many reasons why people come to Jesus. I, I see frequently people, I mean, this, this little phrase here, dear God, right, I can't do this on my own. I really need you always. You know, some people that, I, that I've worked with through the years, um, oh, superstar athletes, CEOs of companies, really super successful people who have a relationship with Jesus, and they came to realize they needed him. They, they, they can't do it on their own, right? I need help, <laughs> I'm an extremely self-reliant person. I want to tell you something. But I am extremely reliant on God. I need his help. I need his power. 
I need that power for living every day to live life successfully, to live life victoriously. So that's a, a reason why people come. Another, another reason is they come because they don't want to go to hell. And, you know, hell is described as fire. I don't think there's anything more painful to the human body than, than fire. Uh, it's described as darkness, utter darkness, gnashing of teeth. Uh, that picture, by the way, I had a man here in the church who was a friend of mine who came to church. That picture led him to Christ. He said that when he was here, the Sunday I showed that picture, that that's when he realized he gave his life to the Lord. So, you know, it, 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 people are, well, hell, you know, I, I don't know. Hell is total separation from God. It's just total separation. And you can, you know, whether, whether fire is figurative or darkness is figurative, it is complete 100%. So you may be sitting there and say, well, I'm not a believer. And, um, you know, it's not so bad. That's right. You know, as an unbeliever, as an unbeliever, I still had moments of joy, moments of peace, moments of happiness, moments of euphoria. I had that as an unbeliever. I believe that that's all a gift from God on unbelievers and believers. And I believe hell is that is totally ripped away. So whatever joy you experience, whatever happiness you're experiencing now, hell, you will not have that. It, it I believe, will be utter misery. And there will be nothing, nothing of God in your life. And I think that's where the gnashing of teeth comes in. Barry, Barry, many years ago, Barry Shark, he said to me, you know, the gnashing of teeth isn't, you know, people like saying, oh, it's terrible down here. No, the gnashing of teeth is, God, I hate you. Because now all of God is gone. And it's, it's again, you ever meet miserable people? Right? You meet somebody who's really miserable? Right? I mean, imagine how miserable hell's going to be. It's going to be filled with miserable people. Let me show you, let me just show you how bad hell is. That bad. It's that bad and so bad that he would come to earth incarnate, take on human flesh, and hang on the cross and die for us to keep us from going to hell. That's how bad. Stop and look at the nails in his hands, the nails in his feet, his beating, his pain, his suffering, and all the sins of the world being placed upon him. That's how bad hell must be that God would do that to keep you from going there. Another reason why people come to the Lord is because they don't want to go through the tribulation. Though I think hell is going to be far worse than the tribulation. But they don't want to go through the tribulation. When the, when the rapture happens, there will be people who are going to go through the tribulation and they're going to experience those seven years if, if they don't die, you know, before it. But it is a hell on earth. And again, there is disease, there is famine, there is suffering, there is the mark of the beast, there is persecution, there are wars, just all these horrible things. And people don't want to go through That's why if you've ever seen the movie Left Behind, it's a great, watch it, it's, it's free. It's all, I mean, get it on YouTube. It, it depicts what happens to people who are left here. And church people, church people. You know, it talks about many people coming to the Lord during the tribulation. I think many of them are people who are sitting in churches this morning. 
They're, they're right in churches like this this morning. And they, they have never made the decision to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus. And, they, you know, they're church people. They go to church. And church will never save you. You know, it, it, you know what makes a Christian going to church? No, that doesn't make a Christian. Right, right? Keith Green, he'd said, you know, going to church won't make you any more of a Christian than going to McDonald's will make you a hamburger. I went to church today, I'm a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. You, are, you have to be born again. You have to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and make a commitment to him, receive him into your heart, and begin to follow him. You'll do that, by the way, extremely imperfectly. I want to assure you of that because I've been doing it imperfectly for 40 years. But I, I, I follow him. As, as poorly as I follow him, as weakly as I follow him, and, and I fall, and I get up and I keep following him. I get knocked down, and I get up and I keep following him. But that's, that, that's what a Christian is. And I think there are a lot of people in churches who are not Christians. They're church people. And they will go through that time. And boy, will that be an awakening when all of a sudden they see they come to church on a Sunday morning and everybody's gone, or a lot of people are gone. And then they will awaken and they will accept Jesus Christ, but then they will have to go through the tribulation. So a lot of people come to Jesus because of that. So again, there, there are many reasons why people come to Jesus. I don't know, you know what your motive is. I don't know what your reason is, but I say this to you. If you have not made the decision to take Jesus into your heart, if you have not put your faith in him as your Lord and Savior, if you have not confessed to him and said to him, I believe you died for me on the cross and was raised from the dead, well, today's the day you can do that. And you can receive salvation, the forgiveness of your sins, and the gift of life. That was the best offer anybody ever made to me in my life. That was an offer I couldn't refuse. And that was a decision that has totally changed my life. I pray that, that you would make that decision to take the Lord into your life. Amen? Let's bow our heads, we'll pray. Father, I just would pray today, if there's anyone here who needs to take you into their life right now as their Lord and Savior, and maybe there are people, Lord, here who are just, they're church people, they're playing the church game, and they don't want to play the church game anymore, they want to become a true, authentic Christian and a follower of you. And maybe there are people here today, Lord God, they're hearing the gospel for the first time, but you're ready to make the decision and accept Jesus into your life. Right now where you are, just pray to the Lord and say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I've sinned a whole lot, Lord. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he is God. I believe that he's Lord. I believe that he's Savior. I believe that he died for me on the cross to take my sins away and that he was raised from the dead to give me life. And right now, I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart and to be my leader, my Lord, and my Savior, my forgiver. Amen.